Good morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? Yeah? Well, let's worship together. Come on. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Best Day Chapel. Great to worship together this morning. Uh, we worship our Savior Jesus Christ together as a community. And here at Westgate, um, our, our, our vision, our mission is to grow together with Jesus. It is to um, engage together in community and to reach our neighbors and the nations. And so we welcome you to that as we worship together. Those of us joining online this morning, welcome you. We're so glad that um, we get to be here or be online together. Um, if you are uh, new here to uh, Westgate Chapel, we do have uh, the Connect card, which is in the pew rack in front of you, and you can place your information on there, and after the service, we have uh, someone in our uh, guest center to uh, meet with you and to get to know you better. I um, also have a gift for you there as well, and if you are online, you can follow the link there and uh, also fill out your Connect card digitally, and you can also use the Connect card if you've been around Westgate for a while to update any of your information, um, to share uh, any prayer requests um, with us. Wanted to share a few uh, highlights of some upcoming uh, events that, that we're doing here at Westgate. Uh, the, the first is going to be this Tuesday. Um, we are going to have uh, a prayer, a uh, time of prayer that we have entitled Praying for Hope and, and Healing. And specifically, it is a, a, a time here in our chapel where we are just recognizing and um, uh, those and all of us that have been impacted and affected by um, uh, suicide and those that are uh, lost. And so our spiritual growth director, Kendra Sankovich, will be uh, leading that time. It will be at 7 o'clock here in the chapel on Tuesday evening, just a time where we desire that Jesus would bring healing and, and hope um, into our, our lives. Uh, a second upcoming future event that begins planning now would be uh, in May. One of our community leaders, Dale Bennington, um, is planning a trip to Israel and, and Egypt. And so um, there should be a slide up here that the dates, I think, May 7th through the 23rd. Um, just a real quick brief mention about that. We will have flyers about that, more details of that trip available um, next Sunday. And uh, finally, this morning, uh, things have uh, COVID, some of the things that ch COVID changed in the life of our, our, our church um, was the, the, that meet and greet time. Um, we haven't done that really for, for two years since, since COVID. Well, this fall, we are going to be bringing that back, um, beginning this, oh yeah. Um, th this morning. So as well as, as Pastor Rob will share a little bit later, we're also going to be bringing back the portion of, of tithes and offerings and uh, passing um, and collecting our tithes and offerings this morning as well. So in, in the, the spirit of getting to know each other and celebrating and engaging in community, I would just like to invite you to stand to greet those around you. And if this, that's still a little nervous for you, just kind of wave, maybe give a, a fist bump. But I invite you to stand and greet those uh, around you.
Okay. Seems like everyone appreciates our meet and greet time once again. We're going to bring us back together. As we continue to worship Jesus this morning, I want to just acknowledge that um, today is September 11th. And we recognize that 21 years ago, there was a major event um, that we were all affected by and impacted by. And so as we continue to sing and worship and be reminded that uh, we worship a God that's greater than any, any worldly situation or circumstance, but also just want to acknowledge uh, the way that we've been impacted. So uh, Jesus, we... We celebrate you. We, we come together to praise uh, your name. And we recognize that earthly events such as like 9-11 or uh, other uh, catastrophes that are happening, God, they do have a place and that you do see, you do know, you do hear our cries, you do hear our hearts of, of anguish, our hearts of concern. But we also come to celebrate you. We celebrate your victory on the cross. We celebrate your victory um, over death. And with that, God, we we lift our voices. Uh, we love you, Jesus. Amen.
We're going to continue in our worship. You can grab a seat for just a moment, but as we continue our worship this morning, as Pastor Adam just mentioned uh, uh, in our uh, welcome this morning, we're going to take some time in our service right now to take our morning offering. And uh, back when the uh, pandemic uh, started and then, you know, we shut down and we came back. We, there were all these things that we did, right? No more meet and greet and no more passing of plates, worried about touch, touch spots and that kind of thing. And uh, just trying to figure out what was going on. And I just want to share with you guys a little bit of my journey as your pastor walking through this season, especially when it comes to our offering and our tithes. You know, I can remember that when we went to putting the buckets at the back, I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool because I had always thought in my mind, hey, we can get more time to do other things and other elements of worship here on the platform and save us a little bit of time. I know you guys are like, he just wants more time to preach, but you know, whatever. Um, I take it anyway. <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing though is, is that I think the thing that God has been teaching me is that in doing it this way, where we just say, hey, you know, at the end of the service, if you brought a tithe and offering, just drop it in the back, thank you. It's very easy to turn our giving into a transactional thing. Where it's, yeah, the church needs money to function, so they ask us to give, so we give. And what God has been really reminding me in my heart is that our bringing of our tithe and our offering to the Lord is a true act of worship. It's an acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from him. And that when we bring it, it's a sign for us to say, God, this is my dependence upon you. And so this morning, we're gonna begin, as long as I'm the pastor, to continue taking an offering during our service because I want us to really remember that this isn't a transaction, it is part of our worship of God. And if you're here this morning, you're a guest, I do want to tell you, like, this isn't like some kind of plea, like, would you throw something in this morning? If you're a guest, feel free to let that go by. Really, this is an opportunity for us to worship the Lord and to give, especially those that call Westgate Chapel home. Unless the Lord puts it on your heart, I don't want you to feel compelled. But I do want us to be a church that gives generously from what God has given as an act of worship to him, not just a transaction. So this morning, you're going to see, especially if you're in these center aisles or if you're on the outside aisles up in the balcony, that there are these new black buckets that say Westgate Chapel on them. What we're going to do in just a moment is we'll have some ushers that'll come forward during the song, and they're just there to help. But if you would grab those buckets on the bottom level and just pass them out, uh, you can put your offerings in there if you have them and you're ready to give this morning. If you have a connection card with prayer requests, you can drop them in there as well. Up in the top, the buckets are on the outside. We're just going to pass them all the way across, and in the aisles, the ushers will help kind of get them across. But um, we really want to return to recognizing that this time of giving is worship, and we want to make it a priority in our service. And so let's move into it this morning with that heart together. And I'll, I'll just say as well, you're like, hey, wait a second, I'm not ready. We do still have the buckets at the back. They'll be there for at least this month as we make the transition. You can still drop something in at the end of the service, but let's give our hearts to the Lord in this moment of worship together. Father, we acknowledge to you that everything we have comes from you. And Father, it is a blessing for us to be able to come together in this service and to worship you in so many different ways with our songs of praise and worship, Father, the way that we humble our heart before you to hear from your word and from your spirit speaking into our hearts. 
but especially in the giving of our tithes and our offerings. This is our way to say, God, we are wholly dependent upon you and we wanna be a part of what you're doing in reaching this lost world with the gospel. And so Father, receive our offering of worship to you this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can grab those buckets and begin moving them out.
verse there's nothing I can do to let you down God it sure feels like that sometimes but Lord you remind me where I fail you succeed where I am weak you are strong you are my provider for everything God How can we not stand here and be moved by you? Be moved by that promise of who you are. God, move us and draw us closer to you, Father, and closer to your heart. To the heart of the Father that says, I love you no matter what, no matter what you've done. That unconditional agape love, Father, we thank you for that. You are so good to us. It's in the precious and plentiful and bountiful name of Jesus Christ that all God's people prayed. Amen. Well, thank you again, Adam. Thank you, worship team, choir, for leading us in worship today. Good morning, church. How are you today? It's good to be together. Got a question for you. How many of you uh, at some point in your life, you may have done this recently, may have been when you were younger like me, how many of you have ever taken time to write out like a five-year plan of like goals? You know, like, hey, five years from now, this is where I want to be in life, or like a 10-year plan. Someone's really pumped about that this morning. I love that. Dave Johnson, of course. Dave, that's his, that's his mojo. Anybody here ever done one of those plans? When I was in college uh, at Biola, the first year that I went there, uh, one of my uh, professors in one of my ministry classes, uh, Shelly Cunningham, she had us do this thing where we would write out kind of like, where do you see yourself five years from now? She's like, you know, think about what, what do you want to be doing? Like, what do you want your life to be like? What are the things that you would have wanted to accomplish? And so she had us write those things out. And if you have your sermon notes this morning, I encourage you to pull those out, follow along with me. This is actually the first question uh, in your notes this morning. I want you to think about this. Like, if you were to sit here today and write out a five-year plan and say, you know, five years from now, here are some of the things that I would like to see have happened in my life life, dreams that I have had, you know, and, and I don't care if you're sitting in here and you're like, I'm 85 years old and I don't know about this. Hey, God can still use you. What are the dreams that you have? What are the things that you would love to see him do? Young people in the room, like when you think about what life could look like, what, what do you dream about? What are the things that you see? When I was in college and I was doing this exercise in my class, I wrote out five things. Now, I don't know if you know this, I save every, every paper that I have ever written for college. Uh, I save on my computer. And I went back and I looked at like the five things that I wrote down, the five goals that I had all the way back in 1996 for my life. And here is what they were. Number one, I said, I want to be graduated from college within five years. There it happened. Praise God, right? I'm telling you, there's, there's uh, Rob Zimmerman, Biola graduate. I remember like my whole family. 
Emily and my grandma, they're all like sobbing with tears I graduated because they never thought I would get there. Um, you know, they were just thanking Jesus for his uh, faithfulness and sovereignty. So um, I, I made it. Uh, the second thing that was on my list after we checked the first box was that I wanted to be in my first job as a youth pastor. And I accomplished that as well. Check the box, right? Within five years, I was a youth pastor of a very, uh, of a small youth group. And this is a picture of one of the trips that we did. We used to do summer trips, houseboat trips out to Lake Mead. Uh, and uh, it was a fantastic time, but I loved the job that I had. God had called me into ministry, and I knew that when I was starting at Biola, by the time I was done in five years, I wanted to be doing what God had always called me to do. So that was really fulfilling. The next one was one that I think a lot of young people write down. Uh, I wanted to be married to a beautiful, rich Christian wife. That's, that is exactly how I wrote it, and look at that. I scored in every way possible. There's my wife, you know, she's beautiful. And, you know, we, we don't consider ourselves rich by any means, but knowing that I was going to be a pastor, a nurse was a great thing to marry. So um, for me, that, that, that prayer got answered, uh, you know, but I got married in uh, the year 2000, which, by the way, gentlemen, was the wisest thing I could have ever done. Anybody says, when did you get married? I'm like, what year is it? And uh, as long as it's November, I can get that answer right. So, uh, but anyway, in uh, November, of 2000, we got married. And then uh, the next thing that was on my list was I wanted to travel to Israel. It had been a dream of mine since I was a young kid. I was like, within five years, I want to do this. And just uh, a couple of years into my time at Biola, the opportunity arose to go with the university on a three-week uh, study trip there where I'd actually get credit for uh, school. And uh, this is a picture of me uh, wearing the hat, uh, the big brim hat, and my friend Kent uh, on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And it was probably one of the life changing moments of my life. I had grown up in the church, reading the stories, looking at the picture books as a kid, but like literally going to the Holy Land took, for me, it took like what seemed like a kid's story in black letters on a white page and literally brought it to life when I stood in those places. Like there was just this incredible feeling of, wow, I'm standing where Jesus did all these things. It's even better when you hear uh, us talking about this Israel and Egypt trip that's coming up in May. I know it's a long trip, but if you have the opportunity to go, I'd encourage you to go. You can talk to Dale Bennington about that. And again, we'll have flyers next week, but such a fantastic time. The last thing, which honestly, you know, I probably should have put like some personal things on, like personal growth items, way I want to be a better person or more responsible. I simply wrote my fifth goal is I wanted to celebrate the Angels winning a World Series. I mean, I don't know why that was like really high on my top five list. Uh, it did not happen until the sixth year, but then praise God it happened. And so I got to celebrate that in 2002. It was a really exciting time. You know, what's interesting is I think about the five-year goals, and maybe even as you think about, like, where would I want to be in five years? What I find is that often the answers to this question can be based on things in our life that we're dissatisfied with, but ultimately that are driven by dreams of who we want to be and what we want to accomplish. Write that in your notes. Often the answers to this question can be based on things we're dissatisfied with, but ultimately they are driven by the dreams of who we want to be and what it is that we want to accomplish. 
You know, as I think about our church, it was all the way back in 2019 where with our staff and our elders, we really began talking about who is it that God has designed for this church to be? Where is it that he is leading us? As we look into the future of what God could possibly do, what is it that he wants to develop and create here within this community and how is it that he wants to use us? And as we dreamed, you'll know that we went together through uh, what we called our Unfinished Generosity Initiative. And when we did so, We did so recognizing the rich history that God had given to us as a church uh, in the greater Toledo area, but also around the world. Our church today is over 114 years old. And 114 years ago, there was a man by the name of Emerson Hasty who started a Sunday school class in a one-room schoolhouse at Secor and Central where he, he had a passion for farmers in the area that couldn't get to other churches to have a place that was a little bit closer to come to learn about God, to be challenged by his word, to find community together, but also then together to go and to have an impact. And as I've thought about this incredible uh, uh, thing that happened with the starting of the Sunday school classes, I've studied the history of our church, I've often asked myself this question. I've wondered, what were Emerson Hasty's dreams? Could he have ever imagined 114 years ago that his faithfulness to follow God's call in starting this very tiny Sunday school class in a one-room schoolhouse that one day it would become a church that had blossomed to the point that it would see countless numbers of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Hundreds of men and women be trained up for a life of serving the Lord as missionaries and pastors. And millions of dollars of raised for the Great Commission Fund that would take the gospel to the least reached corners of our world. Could he have ever imagined, did he ever dream that that's what God could do? You know, as we went through the Unfinished Initiative together, our primary focus was that the best years of ministry for Westgate were still to come. We have this incredibly rich history, but we drew on Paul's exhortation to the church in Philippi, where he looks at them and he he says these words. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul looked at the church in Philippi, a very small church that he was instrumental in helping to get started, and he is acknowledging the incredibly rich history that they had, but dreaming of the fact that God wants to do even greater things if you will continue to submit and to surrender your heart and your lives to him and keep him first in all things. And since the beginning of Unfinished, I've been dreaming with our church leadership about how God will continue to do, use Westgate Chapel in even greater ways than he already has. What I find, though, as we mentioned at the beginning, is like I said, oftentimes when we look at like, you know, the dreams that we have, sometimes it begins by looking at the things that we're dissatisfied with. And I know that for me, when I look at the church at large in America today, I can make a long list of things that I'm dissatisfied with. I'm dissatisfied with what appears to be the privatization of the Christian faith. I'm I'm dissatisfied and even at times disheartened by how we treat the church as though it is a, a grocery store where we go through and we look for certain things that we want. And if we don't find what we want, that then we move on to the next one because maybe that will give us what we want. We have a, a materialistic kind of mindset. One of the things that, that, that dis, leaves me discontent as well is not just kind of a consumer mentality, but also when we isolate from the Christian community that God has designed us for. 
or that our focus within the church at times has become way more inward than it is actually outward. And we look and we say, well, yeah, the church is supposed to be reaching out, but that's somebody else's job. But I want you to hear, like, as I think about these things that maybe discourage me, I have beautiful, big dreams of what I believe God can and wants to do through his church in America, but specifically here at Westgate Chapel. When I dream about where God could potentially take us, I see a picture of people who have a hunger to know God and live out their lives constantly in worship to him in the way that they've dedicated their hearts to him. I have this picture in my mind of people who are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit because of their submission and worship of God, and they see him moving in their lives and transforming them, being freed from sin, allowing God to guide their priorities, seeking to make an impact on the lives of others, and sharing countless stories of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I see a picture out in the future of people who are a family, who do life together and value that because we recognize that the greatest growth takes place in us spiritually when we're connected relationally with one another. I see a picture in my mind of people who are passionate about sharing their faith, that they don't just look and go, it's somebody else's job, but God has placed me in circles where I have the ability through his power to share the good news of Jesus with others, and they might possibly come to know him as their savior. I see a picture of people in our community who are coming to faith in Jesus, people who are being trained up to serve as pastors and missionaries and being sent out all around the world. And to be honest with you, I often have found myself over the past many years walking around the church praying the same prayer over and over again, walking the perimeter of this beautiful campus and facility that God has given us, praying and saying to God, God, are we stuck and mired in, in, in the days where the church can only grow by being attractional and growing mostly through transfer growth as people shop for the church that meets their best need? Or could it possibly be that we'll see a day come again where your church grows, not because we're just seeking to be attractional, but because the church is deeply committed to you. And because they're deeply committed to you, they're experiencing your power in ways that they haven't in a long time and seeing growth, not because people are just transferring from another church, but because people are coming to faith in Jesus. Lord, would you bring that day to this church? This is the dream that I have and that I pray over this church constantly is that God would develop within us a heart and a passion for him that burns so brightly that we can't help but be out in our community and in our circles sharing the good news of the gospel and allowing ourselves to experience things happening that can't be explained by our own hands, but that are explained only by a moving of the power of his Holy Spirit. This is the dream that I have. These are the things that I pray for. And over the next weeks together, we're going to begin a sermon series that is entitled uh, Deep Roots and Broad Reach. But this isn't just a sermon series. This is a five-year vision that we have been working on developing for Westgate Chapel. And included within it, what we'll be talking about over these next three weeks together is the vision that we believe God has given us as a church moving forward to accomplish the dreams that have been laid out. In your notes, you'll see here that Deep Roots and Broad Reach your strategic vision initiative that is designed to drive us toward being a Jesus-centered community that is known for intentionally sharing God's love with our neighbors and with the nations. 
And as you think about that, this vision that we're going to be rolling out over the next weeks together directly links, if you didn't see it right away, is that that statement includes our vision statement as a church. We believe that God has called us to be a Jesus-centered community, a place where we are honed in on the word of God and submitting our hearts and our lives to God, living in community with one another, growing together but then intentionally going out and sharing God's love with all that he has placed in our circles. And so this morning, I want us to begin by diving into the first part of this vision and talk about what do we mean when we say that we want to be a people that have deep roots? What does that mean? Let's dive into that together. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Uh, in this passage, uh, Paul is going to speak specifically about this and uh, is one of the key passages that has kind of led me as, as I've been developing this idea of what it means for us to have deep roots. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, you'll also see it on the screen behind me. Paul says, therefore, as you received G Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. As we look at this passage together and think about what it means to have deep roots, the first thing that we need to acknowledge, letter A, is this, is that Paul expresses a very valid concern over our human capacity to walk away from God. He says in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul acknowledges that it is the human nature, it is easy for us to very simply walk away from God. And most of us have experienced this in our own lives, if we're honest. It can be when we walk through difficult trials in our life, things that are painful or difficult that cause us to question, is God with me? Is God really there? I've watched many people wrestle with that and then find themselves walking away from God. Or people wrestle with doubt about who God is or about his word. And rather than pushing into finding those answers, find themselves walking away because it's just easier. For many other people, it's a very valid concern about walking away from God because we see this in scripture all the time is that one of the things that causes people to walk away is the cost of following Jesus. It is becoming an increasingly unpopular thing to hold the values of scripture in our current culture today. It would be much easier to make concessions to the world or simply to walk away rather than to hold to the teachings of God's word. False teaching is another issue that Paul directly uh, talked about with the Colossian church. You know, it's interesting as I think about how easy it is. One of the, my favorite old hymns uh, that, that I love to sing is a, a hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It was written by a man, uh, by, a man by the name of Robert Robinson. When he was young, at a very young age, his father died. He grew up really without a father, without a family. He found himself mixed up in the wrong crowd, uh, so much so that he was causing lots of trouble, doing lots of bad things. And then one day, he and his friends decided uh, together that they were going to go to one of these big tent revivals where there was an evangelist that was going to be speaking, and they were going to go to heckle him. And so he shows up at George Whitfield, a famous evangelist's big tent revival, and as he goes and he begins to hear the message, he began to 
recognize the depth of his need for God. And as the story goes, he yielded his, his heart to the Lord, but he consistently wrestled with the idea of how easy it was for him to continually walk back to what he knew and walk away from God. And he penned this incredible hymn where it says in one of the verses, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I don't know about you, but every time I sing that old hymn, and specifically this verse, I feel myself singing it, and it is so real to me. I am so prone to wander. It would be so easy to walk away if I was not grounded in the Lord. And what's interesting is that Paul makes the same point that Robert Robinson so eloquently wrote of, that no one is immune from the potential to walk away from God. And I want you to think about it personally. How many times have you gone through trials or wrestled with doubt or counted the cost of what it really means to hold to the teachings of scripture and follow Christ or wrestled with other teachings that seem contrary to the word? How many times in your own life have you found it that it would have been very easy to walk away? I would venture to guess that most of us in this room have experienced that at one point or another. I have. I know that many people do. And today in our world today, not only do we see people walk away from life, we see pastors that are leaving the faith and walking away at times because of many of the things that we list here. And I tell you, if people like Adam and Eve in the very beginning of Genesis who walked with God in a perfect environment could actually walk away with him, then Paul's words speak so true. It's a valid concern that we have a very strong human capacity to walk away from God, but he doesn't stop there. Letter B, he also emphasizes that our power for the Christian life is supplied by God through Jesus Christ. In verses nine through 10, he says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We're prone to wander, but here's the deal. We don't need to. We can actually find the strength that we need to overcome all of the things that would tempt us to walk away from God, and we find it in Jesus Christ. He says to us here in a very beautiful, big way, he says that for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, that in Jesus we have God himself, the one who is sovereignly in control of the entire universe, who has all power, and he is at our disposal because we have been filled by him. Why would we as Christians not tap into that power to have victory in this Christian life? It seems so easy. You have a tool at your disposal. You have the God of the universe. Why is it so often that we don't tap into him? Think about it in these terms. Uh, Years ago, I think I've told you before that uh, when I was on a vacation in California, one of the things that I did is I went to a grocery store to pick up a couple things, and there was a gentleman in the produce section that kind of began shouting out on a microphone, telling everybody like, hey, everybody, I've got this like display set up over here, and I'm going to have this presentation, and I am going to tell you about something that will be utterly life-changing. And now, I roll my eyes at these kind of things when I hear this stuff. When I'm walking through stores, kind of annoys me, and you know, I just usually keep walking by, but this guy was convincing, and he said 
the words that kind of perk all of our ears at times. He says, and if you just come watch, I'll give you something free. And I'm like, free? I like free. I mean, I could stand for like five minutes and watch something just to get something free. And so I go over, and I've told you before, if you guys don't know, one of my favorite things to do in life, weird, is to make salads. Like, I love making a salad. There's an art form to making a salad. And, you know, back before this experience in this grocery store, my idea of a salad was taking some lettuce, maybe putting it underwater, shredding it up, and saying, have some ranch dressing. We call that a salad, right? Until my life was altered. <laughs> he pulls out a mandolin. How many of you have a mandolin? Now, this is not the mandolin you play. If you do, you're going to cut your fingers. And people were taking bets backstage on whether or not I would slice a finger off this morning. So, one of the things is this guy begins giving this demonstration about how life-changing a mandolin can be. One of the reasons I hated making salad back in the day is because you had to take a knife. It was so painstaking to cut things until this beautiful instrument was created. And like, seriously, look how easy it is to make these beautiful little circles of cucumber. Anybody like cucumber? I've got some for you, okay? Come get some. You know, either that or you just take a nice little carrot, you know, you cut it up, get nice little carrot slices. When you put this stuff into a salad, my fingers are getting close, uh, when you put this into a salad, not only does it look pretty, but it tastes amazing. Changed my life. I love to make salads. I never make a salad anymore that, that, is, that is actually good without going to the mandolin because this is a tool that has been given to me and it's great. I gotta ask you guys this question. We have been given God himself in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and often we decide still not to use the incredible gift that we have been given but to rely on our own strength and our own power and to fail miserably in doing so. Paul looks at us and says, we don't, need to, we don't need to struggle or wander through this life being unvictorious, but we have the very power of the living God at our disposal. How could we not tap into that? Church, I believe the sole reason that we see people walking away from God the, the sole reason that we see God's power not, not manifesting in the church or in our lives today is because we have stopped our reliance and dependence on him. And what does Paul say? Paul makes very clear that it is important for us to understand that success in the Christian life is wholly dependent on our being rooted in Christ. That's letter C. Paul defines the Christian life as being deeply rooted in Christ. Verses six and seven, he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He says, number one, as you have received Christ. This word received, uh, the Greek verb here is usually used by Paul in terms of receiving or accepting a teaching that is concerning Jesus or the gospel. You'll hear it as in uh, Paul giving uh, an example in scripture where he says, hey, you have received this gospel from us or you have received this teaching or you have received these instructions. But here's the thing. In this passage that we find here in Colossians chapter 2, this is the only place in the New Testament where Paul uses this verb in conjunction with a personal object. He says, you have received Jesus Christ. In other words, number two, 
This receiving is not just a matter of believing in a teaching or believing in the gospel, but it involves a commitment to Christ. It's not a matter of just believing in Christ. It involves a commitment to Christ. It's not just knowledge of who God is, but it's a knowledge that impacts the way that we live and root ourselves in Christ. Think of the words that James uses in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. One of my favorite passages. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So I think about this passage, and what James is saying is he's reminding us that it's not just mere belief that we are called to, but being deeply rooted in Christ is not just belief, but it is our commitment to Christ. He says, you can have a belief, a perfect belief in who God is, but don't get too excited about that because the demons know who God is. They have the same exact knowledge as you. The difference is our faith, and a faith that when we trust in God and we root ourselves in him, he produces fruit, he produces works in us. And so what does he say? He says, you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. And this picture of walking in Christ is defined as being rooted and built up in him. Number three, being rooted in him drew on a familiar analogy from horticulture. In that day and time, obviously, when it comes to trees and bushes, and and that was a big thing within their, their society and culture, they would have understood this analogy perfectly that Paul was using. A picture of roots, healthy roots that are growing out of a tree. You see, in the same way it was then, it is today. Deep roots are a symbol of health, of strength, of stability, and presence. Not just, in, not just in, the, in the idea of trees themselves in the physical world today, but also Paul is using this to help us to understand how our rootedness in Christ is what gives us strength and stability and health as followers of God. My son uh, recently has taken up a landscaping job where he goes out and does various, bids various jobs in the community and, and does various different tasks for people. And one of the things that he's done recently is he's gone out and uh, he's been asked by some people to remove trees from their yards. And uh, recently he, he bid a job. Uh, I, I was kind of surprised by the amount of money he could get for it, but he's like, well, dad, he said, these things take hours to dig out of the ground and to get the roots completely out of the ground. So this is a picture of a, a similar tree to the one job that he bid. It was a pine tree that was dying. It was about seven or eight feet tall in somebody's yard. And he told me after he got home, he's like kind of laughing. He got home really fast and I was kind of surprised. I'm like, dude, what did you do? And he said, well, we get there and we took the shovel and we stuck it down into the ground. We just kind of gave it a push and the entire thing came out and fell over. I mean, completely dead. The root system was completely gone. Um, now, because I, I, my son, he, he went to the lady, I love him. He's like, uh, you don't have to pay us for that. You know, it kind of took them five seconds to remove a tree that they thought might take a couple hours. But the reason that it came out so fast 
was because the root system was dead underneath. It wasn't solidly sunk into the ground. It was actually decaying away. And so the tree was easily pushed over. However, there was another tree that he did for, uh, for a friend and their family. And uh, it was, you'll see a picture here. It was a stronger, much healthier tree that he was asked to remove. And what they did is they started by kind of cutting the tree down and then digging out around the base of the tree to expose the roots and start trying to cut through. They had a chainsaw that they were using at first, but because there was so much sap running through those roots, it actually gummed it up and they couldn't use it anymore. So then they basically took an axe and began chopping away at the roots. But every time they would cut through the roots and then begin to try to lift it out, they found that it wouldn't budge and it wouldn't move. They would have to dig down further to find more roots. Four hours later, they were able, and it was about this size, they were finally able to pull the, tr- the, 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 uh, the base of the tree and also the roots out of the ground after a ton of grueling work. Why? Because this tree had grown a very deep root system that allowed it to be healthy, strong, stable, and have a very strong presence. This is the analogy that Paul uses to draw a picture for us of what it means to be rooted in Christ, that we are so deeply committed to Christ that he is the one that is pouring into our hearts and lives and giving us the strength to live the Christian life the way it was designed to be lived. The analogy is strikingly similar to John chapter 15, which we went through together not that long ago on the vine and the branches. But as you think about it, I want you to think, what does it mean for us to be deeply rooted in Christ? If I can speak plainly this morning, I would say this. Being rooted in Christ means that we don't just say that he is Lord, but the way I live is dictated by the fact that he is Lord of my life. When I'm deeply rooted in Christ, I seek him before all other things. When I'm deeply rooted in Christ, holiness matters in all areas of my life. Even if I'm not perfect, holiness matters. I live in his power, not my own. When I'm rooted in Christ, I set aside time every single week to worship in community because I recognize it's essential because he created community for me to grow in him. My priorities become dictated by his priorities. I love like Jesus loved. I serve like Jesus serves. I pursue peace and unity with others because it brings him the greatest glory When I am rooted in Christ, he is everything to me. And everything I do, everything I say comes from a place of my connection to him and desiring to glorify him. Number four, when we're deeply rooted in Christ, it's then that we see the Holy Spirit producing spiritual fruit in us and also through us. And if we're going to be a church that experiences God's transforming power in our lives, but also then being a part of seeing other people come to faith in Jesus Christ. The dream that sets out before me of a church that is just dedicated in seeing God's power moving and people coming to faith in Jesus, if we're going to experience that, it begins with our rootedness in Christ. How will Westgate Chapel emphasize and encourage the growth of deep roots over the next five years together? Letter A. I want you to hear this. There are many things that we do, and I think that we do well. But foundationally, we believe that the most effective spiritual growth takes place in our lives when we are connected relationally with one another and serving others. I believe that when we are connected with others and serving others, it is when some of the greatest spiritual growth happens in our lives. And this is the way that God designed the church to be. 
We are designed to be in community with each other, sharpening each other, challenging each other, holding one another accountable, going out and serving the world together in order to see Jesus's name made great. Because this is true, a few of the things that we're going to be focusing on together over the next five years to continue to grow deep roots together as a church is letter B, we will strive to become, number one, a life group-centered church. Our deepest desire is that every single person at Westgate Chapel is engaged in community with other believers where they are known, but they are also growing deeper in Christ together. I want to invite Pastor Adam Just to come out and join me here and also uh, April Roth, who's going to share with us for just a moment this morning. Would you welcome them as they come this morning? And uh, they're going to share with us just a little bit about life groups at Westgate. Take it away, Adam. You made a good salad out here, Rob. Yes, sir. It's good. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm uh, one of the pastors here working with, with life groups and love to be doing so and love to help all of us get connected more uh, in life groups. Life groups are extremely valuable and definitely a part of growing deep roots uh, with Jesus. Um, this is April Roth. Her and her husband, Ryan, they lead one of our, our life groups. They meet on Wednesday nights. And uh, April, we'd love for you to hear from you. Uh, specifically first, um, can you share with us how has being a part of a life group really helped those deep roots grow specifically in, in your walk with Jesus? Well, I'm glad we're starting with this question because I feel that that is the most important thing about a life group. Um, it is wonderful to be a part of the church community on Sunday mornings, to have that time of worship, um, to have that time of, of learning from the pastors. It's nice to have that individual time alone with God every day um, in devotionals, in the word, in prayer. Um, it's nice to have so many Christian radio stations also in our community that we can listen to as a reminder but when you have the opportunity, when you commit to a small group, a life group, and you're committing to meeting once a week, every other week, with your fellow believers, that helps set that foundation. You're able to go a little deeper into the word, into a study. And I found, too, that I've learned a lot from the people that I'm in the life group with, um, just kind of putting yourself out there and being willing to learn and listen to one another. Um, that's been a big help. Great. And that helps uh, grow deep roots with Jesus. And what about helping grow roots within the community? How has the life group helped you uh, get connected more here at, at Westgate? And what has that meant uh, for you? Yeah, so Westgate, Westgate is, is large, um, probably just as big as the small town I grew up in, and definitely larger than the church that my husband and I and our, our boys came from. So walking into a larger church can feel very intimidating. When you put yourself out there and commit to a life group, you have the opportunity then to make a large church feels smaller. And when you're walking in then to a larger church, you see people you know. You see your family. You see people that you've connected with. Um, 
And it's important, those roots, the roots that Pastor Rob is, is speaking about, it's so important because the more that we're together and we're learning about Jesus and his love for us and what our role in that is to be in the world and how we should love the world and reaching our um, neighbors and nations, um, that helps us all to be that light. And when you're in that group, in that community of fellow believers, you know you're not alone. You know that there are other people that are maybe struggling like you are, or um, you're celebrating with people. It just really helps that connection and those roots. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, and, and so today, uh, after the service, out in the W Cafe area, we are having a life group sign-up event. And we have a lot of life groups here at Westgate. We are continuing to grow in more and more life groups. Specifically, we have uh, like five brand new life groups beginning this fall and some open spots and some others. Um, many of some of our life group leaders will, will be out there by these different tables according to what day of the week uh, you might have availability. Um, and we also recognize that uh, you might, going over there, take some courage, might have some fears. And so, April, like, what would you say to everyone here to maybe address any concerns about joining a life, nervousness? Uh, what would you have to say? Um, so, yes, that's very real. It is intimidating to put yourself out there, to go up to somebody and say, hey, tell me more about your group. Maybe I'll sign up. Maybe I won't. Um, there's a fear maybe of being accepted. There's a fear of putting yourself out there, of being vulnerable. Um, and so I just want to remind everybody that that's a tool of the enemy. Of course, the enemy doesn't want us to meet together and to connect and to grow deeper um, in our knowledge, our head and heart knowledge of, of who the Lord is. Um, so I just pray that you try to move past that. If today, if when you go out there, um, and it is too overwhelming, there is, what is it, the table on the far right, left, whichever way you look at it, um, there are cards there that if you're interested in a life group, um, but you don't kind of want to go up to somebody right then, I encourage you to fill that out. Um, and I also want to say that you don't have to be this perfect Christian or perfect person to be a part of a life group. We're all growing. We're all learning. We're all in the same boat. And so don't let that be a discouragement either to keep you from, from being a part of a life group. Great. Well, thank you, April. And if you're looking for a life group, please come see us out in the cafe after the service. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And one of the things that, um, that they hit on together that has been probably one of the deepest concerns for me as I think about why we want to be a life group-centered church is because of the issue that we see rampant in our culture today of the privatization of the Christian faith. It has become so easy for us to do, uh, try to do the Christian life away from the way that God designed it to be done, which is in fellowship and community with each other. And so that is really the heartbeat that sits behind why we as a church want to push in. We believe that the greatest way for us to develop deep roots in Christ is to do so in community with one another. 
But number two, I think something that is just as important as well is that we desire to be and will strive to become over these next five years a church that is known for serving and loving other people. A church that is known for serving and loving people within our walls, but also for serving and loving others outside of our walls. And that begins when we learn to do community well together. Because when we're connected with each other, we naturally care for and and serve one another. But then also life groups especially provide us one of the greatest opportunities to go out and to serve our community well together. And as we think about these things of becoming a life group-centered church and being a church that is known for serving and loving others, the dream letter C that we have and the things that we're trusting God for, number one is this, is that over the next five years, we would love to see 80% plus participation in our life group ministry here at Westgate Chapel. We would love to see everybody engage in community. And I just want to say this to you. The one thing that I have heard over the last 13 years that I've been in this church is that people will always tell me, especially new people people will say, man, this church is a loving church. Like they walk in and they're like, I feel welcome. People like walk up and they greet you, even they'll give you like those awkward hugs and make you feel like, you know, you belong, which is kind of cool. But the thing that almost always has followed that, and that often I've received in emails back to me after somebody has left is like, your church like is so welcoming, but I'm finding it really difficult to get connected into the life of the church. And sometimes I think we forget when we get ourselves into our own little circles and groups here in the church is that we forget that there are more people who want to join that family. And we have to become the type of church as well that says, I'm willing to even look outside of myself and my needs to welcome more people into that family and into relationship so that they can experience not only a depth of Christian community, but the depth of spiritual growth that takes place within that community. Here's why I say this. One of the most difficult things that we struggle with is finding people to help lead life groups. Everybody has got their groups. We've got groups where many people could help lead, but oftentimes unwilling to step out and to step out in faith. And I would just ask us as a church to pray that if we're going to get to this place where we are truly welcoming everyone into life with us and to be a part of this family, maybe it would take us catching a vision from the Lord that says, Maybe it's time for me to step out and lead a group. Maybe it's time for our group to split and to invite more people in because there are people that are hungering to have that connection and community and to grow deeper in Christ with other believers. As well, number two, our hope is that 80% of the people in our church will be actively serving and using their giftedness in one way or another, whether that's serving on a weekly basis or depending on what life looks like and the time that is allotted, that we are finding those opportunities to serve others and to use our gifts for the glory of God. Why is this essential, church? Why do we start a vision series by talking about the need to develop deep roots? Because if we don't develop these deep roots, we will not accomplish the second part of our vision that we'll talk about next week, which is the call that God has placed on this church 114 years ago and that continues to today, is that we would have a broad reach in this community and throughout the world for the purposes of the gospel. If we're gonna be a church that is truly reaching the lost in our community, then we must first grow deep roots in Christ And allow ourselves to be dismissed to him in such a way that the power of the Holy Spirit is surging through us as individuals 
so that we see more people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the question each of us has to wrestle with this morning is this. What does God desire of me? If this is the vision that God has given our church over the next five years, what does God need to do in me? How does he want to change me? How does he want me to develop even deeper roots? What areas of my life are unsubmitted? What steps does he want me to take in order to invite more people in? And I would challenge us together to prayerfully go before the Lord and say just one single question, not Lord, how can other people do this? But what do you want to do in me and also through me? Father, thank you for our time together. Help us to be a people, as Paul states so clearly, who are developing a deep rootedness in you. We have received Jesus Christ as our Lord. As we walk in him, may we be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as we were taught. That we wouldn't be blown to and fro by the world that surrounds us, unstable in our faith, but we would be those who are standing strong, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit because we've submitted ourselves to God. Lord, would you do that work in us? And as you do that work in us, would you use us mightily to reach others with the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen.
so much for the opportunity that we've had to worship you together today. And uh, Lord, as we dream together about where it is that you want to take this church and we dream about the things that you could do in our lives, but also through us, Lord, into the lives of others, it leads us to a place of just coming and bowing our heads and our hearts before you and opening ourselves up to say, Lord, what do you want to change in me? And Father, I pray that you would help each of us to take that introspective look at our own hearts and our own lives and say, Lord, if we're going to become the church that you've designed us to be, then it begins with me not thinking about what other people should do, but it begins with us, God, really taking inventory with you and saying, how can I take even more steps to being deeply rooted in Christ? to engage not only my relationship with you, but deeper in community within your church, because this is the place that you have designed for the greatest growth to take place within me. And also, Father, to invite other people into this community to experience the same. So Lord, as we look at our own hearts and our lives, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even in this next week, would reveal steps for us to take to continue that pattern of growing deeper roots and trust in you, the one true living God who gives us all that we need to be victorious in this life. We love you, Father, and we submit and surrender our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. As we close our service this morning, just a couple of things for you. Uh, please catch this. Number one, again, if you have any prayer needs this morning, prayer for healing, things that you've been wrestling with with the Lord, uh, we have uh, Jen Behan. We also have uh, one of our, our, our lovely elders over here that would love the opportunity, Tom Richards, to pray with you. I had one of those old person brain moments, sorry. Tom Richards, who would love the opportunity to pray with you today. Would you uh, please meet with them uh, if that would be your desire? They would love to lead you over to our prayer room. Secondly, as as you go, um, again, if you have offerings uh, that you brought and you weren't ready for the offering today, the, the buckets are at the back as you leave. Last thing, we've produced this small little pamphlet for you. You may have seen it when you walked in today, Westgate's five-year vision, deep roots and broad reach. It's on all of the tables at our entrances this morning. Would you grab one of these? Keep it. Take a time to look at it, think through it, read it, pray through it, and ask God how he would have you to engage. And join us next week as we continue to talk about how God desires to not only help us grow deep roots, but to have a broad reach for the sake of the gospel. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord.